Uh, good evening, everybody. We'll just be reviewing uh, some of the basic Hilcha Shabbos that are relevant to doctors. The Shulchan Aruch divides... Uh, we just started. Shulchan Aruch divides the um, sick patients into four different categories. Uh, the first category is one who is a person sometimes has an infection in his mouth which may possibly cause him to die. Uh, and of course, if that is the case, you're permitted even to violate Malachas Deraisa if that happens to be necessary. Um, we Paskin, there is a dispute whether Pikuach Nefesh is Doche Shabbos, it's only Duchuya or it's Hutra, it's a Gomor. And the difference is, should you try to avoid the, the violation of Chilo Shabbos? So as far as the patient is concerned, if a patient thinks that he may need real Chil Shabbos uh, to take care of his condition, uh, he should really go to a non-Jewish dentist on Shabbos or Yonta rather than go to a Jewish dentist. But once he's chosen to come to the Jewish dentist, that's already not proper to send him, to tell him, go, go to the non-Jewish uh, dentist. That says in the Gemara that if a Jewish person is faced with a situation of Sakona, you're not supposed to shift off and you, either you can take care of the Pikuach Nefesh or you can shift it off and get uh, a woman. The man is going to send a woman or the rabbi is going to send a balabos or you're going to send a child before Bar Mitzvah you're going to send a goy. So it says you're not allowed to do that as if uh, to imply that, uh, that uh, Pikuach Nefesh is uh, with a big krecht and, uh, and we're going to send it off to the other people. So the, the patient should know in advance to go to a non-Jew if he thinks there's going to have to be Chil Shabbos in the treatment. But once he went to the Jewish uh, doctor, then the doctor should treat it. He shouldn't send it to somebody else. Uh, so this is the first category. And the first category is a chodesh yesh b'sakana, suffix sakana, even if there's only a far-fetched suffix sakana, if it's within reason, uh, if, if there's what to be concerned about. Uh, if there's what to be concerned about, means that the treatment has to be done today. If there's what to be concerned about, but the treatment doesn't have to be done today, you can wait till after Havdalah. And you're not permitted to, to do anything on Shabbos. You have to wait till after Havdolah. But if you're afraid that it may be too late, so then you're permitted to be Mechal Shabbos, even if it's necessary on the level of Malachas Derais. Of course, turning on lights, sometimes it'll be necessary to turn on lights in your office. So, uh, um, the Shemir Shabbos Kolchasa has a lot of details about this. If a doctor has um, a lighting system where he flicks on one switch, and all the lights go on in all the ten rooms in his, uh, in his office. He doesn't really need all the lights in all the ten rooms. He needs only the lights in one room. So if it's possible for him, if it's a big rush, he does like that. He turns on the, the one switch and all the lights go on. If, uh, if he has a little time, if it's not such a big rush, so he should really try to turn off all the lights in all the other nine rooms where he's not going to need them to go on. And, uh, so that when he turns on the switch, the lights will only go on in the one room where they are needed. Uh, that's Marba Bishurim. That's called Mabe Bishurim. A person has the head to do Chilul Shabbos, but he only needs the Chilul Shabbos on, uh, on a few lights. He doesn't need on the lights in all of the rooms. So if possible, he should uh, try to avoid as much uh, as possible. Uh, if it's possible, one should try to see to it that he should only turn on the, uh, the neon lights as opposed to the incandescent lights. We assume that turning on an electric bulb, an incandescent bulb is a Malocha de Rais, and turning on a neon bulb is only a Malocha de Rabot. So whenever it's possible to lower the level of the of the Yisra, you should do so. When you have to turn on the lights, you should turn on the lights with your elbow rather than turn on with, uh, with your hand. Whenever one does a malacha, al said so this lowers the level of the, of the malacha to be only considered a malacha de Rabbana. So that's, um, when you're treating the patient, you can't do it with your elbow. You've got no choice. You've got to make sure that you save his life if, if it's a safek sakon. So then you do it with the right hand. Okay, but uh, when you turn on the lights, they're going to be on anyway, whether you turn on with the elbow or with the hand. So you should try to do al 
Okay. The second category uh, is a, an individual who's not a chayla shiyesh b'sakana, but rather one who only has a sakana's aver, uh, with his concern for loss of a limb, or if the person already lost the limb and you want to reattach it, let's say the person lost a finger and you want to reattach it, or in this case, let's say the person lost a tooth. Um, it's not so clear exactly. I think the person do assume you know you have a whole bunch of other teeth, but if you lost one tooth, we apparently do consider that a sakana saver. Uh, so for loss of a limb, we don't treat that as real sakana nefoshes, but we are make a little more than in the next category that we're going to talk about, the chayla shemba sakana. So in the instance where a person is concerned about losing a limb, or he lost the limb and want to reattach it, so then we allow violation of all dinim de Rabbanon. Whatever is only with the Rabbana, one is permitted to violate. So let's say, um, let's say, um, if a person lost his tooth, and I think they say if you if you hold if you put the tooth back within a half an hour, uh, if the person pull, holds his tooth back, something like that. I didn't fully understand the treatment over here. So then, if uh, if you see a doctor soon after uh, Shabbos, he may be able to save your tooth. So when you put your tooth, when the doctor glues the tooth in and he fixes it for good, that's mamash and malacha deraita. That's bona. Amakabapatish one or the other. But when the patient just puts the tooth in, that's only binyan aroi. That's not really going to last too long. So even though that's a malacha, but it's only a malacha medirabon. So that we would permit because we're concerned about the possible loss of the tooth. You're going to save the use of that tooth. Even though he has another 50 teeth in his mouth anyway, and he can function pretty well with the other teeth, but as the Paschim seem to assume that the loss of one tooth is also considered a uh, Sarkana Savior. So we are Mater Oli Surim De uh, The third category of a patient is a Chayla Sha'ema Sarkana. I think that's usually the case. Uh, where there's no concern that he's going to lose his life, not such a major infection, no concern that he's going to lose the tooth, or he's going to lose the tooth, you're not going to be able to save it anyway. It's not a deal on whether you're saving the tooth. It's just that he's, uh, he has such uh, pain, he has such excruciating pain, he's not able to function normally. So this is usually the definition of either a person has such pain that he has to lay in bed, or he has, even if he's walking around, but it slows him down and he can't function normally. So in the instance of a whether it's with the teeth or with the hand or with the bellyache or whatever it happens to be, we don't allow one to violate a malacha de rabbana. We only permit one to violate exerim de rabbana. So a person has to, doctors and the nurses and the dentists have to be tamid chachamim. They have to know what's a malacha de rabbana and what's exerim de rabbana. They tell the story that when Rabbi Soloveitchik uh, was a young man and they thought he was going to, he was going to be drafted into the uh, army. I don't know what they would have done with him. I guess they needed a chaplain in the army. <laughs> what would they do, Rabbi Abel Soloveitchik in the army? So uh, Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik was concerned his son may have to go to the army. So he sat down with him and he was studying with him the Rambam Hilcha Shabbat. So someone passed by and he said, why do you study the Rambam? Why don't you study the Shulchan Aruch? If he's going to be in the army, we don't always follow the Rambam. Wouldn't it make more sense to study with him the Shulchan Aruch? So Rabbi Chaim explained, no, that if his son goes to the army, he'll certainly have to violate the uh, Shabbos. And it's important to know what's a Nisa de Raisa, what's a Nisa de Rabbanon, and the different levels of the Yisurim de Rabbanon. So this you only find in the Rambam. And the Shulchan Aruch just says, Asura Mutta. It doesn't tell you how serious the Yisur is. So he thought that it was important, and this is very important for doctors also. They have to be very learned. They have to know what's a Nisa de Raisa, what's a Nisa de Ra- what's a Malacha de Rabbanon, and what's only a Gzeira de Rabbanon. So take for example, if a person is a Chayla Sha'imbo Sakana, Chayla uh, Sha'imbo Sakana includes all children. When, they have a sl- when a little uh, baby is, uh, is hungry, so 
they start to scream and you, and you can't control them. So that's considered, a, even though he's not sick at all, that in Shulchan Aruch it says <coughs> that uh, any needs of a little child are considered infants who need a lunch or something are considered because the child has a condition, not even a sickness, has a condition, namely hunger, slight hunger, uh, that prevents him from being able to function normally. Normally he would play with his toys and now he's screaming his head off, he can't function normally. So that has the status of a Chol Hashem or by an adult. Adults usually know how to control their hunger. They don't go wild because uh, it's one minute late uh, uh, from, from, uh, from time to have their coffee or time to have their dinner. But if a person has excruciating pain and they just can't function normally. Uh, somebody came to me on Shabbos his wife is sick and uh, she can't get out of bed and suddenly well, he had a shayla she allowed to take uh, medicine so the din is yes of course she allowed to take medicine that's called the choyla shemes hakana and uh, it's permissible to take medicine in such a case the fourth category is the one who is healthy the bari who just has a mechish be'alma one who's basically healthy he just has a slight ache and pain so then the chachamim prohibited the use of medication on Shabbos because of exera this may lead the patient to do, to do some chidl Shabbos um, so although normally by a bari who has a mechish beyond a healthy person who has slight aches and pains that do not prevent them from functioning normally the Chachami made a prohibition that you're not allowed to take medication if the fellow the pain that he has is so terrible that he has to lay in bed the whole time or even if he's walking around he has such a splitting headache or such pains that he can't function normally so then we permit one to violate Xeris so Xeris include one is permitted to take medication if there's no Malach involved, just the issue of the Xer, the Rabbanan, prohibiting medication, so the Choyel Hashem is allowed to take medication, or one is allowed to go to the non-Jewish, uh, uh, one is permitted to have a non-Jew do whatever Malach he needs. Let's say I'm going to have a, a non-Jew drive me to the hospital. I have, um, I have um, terrible aches and pains that prevent me from functioning normally. I don't think I'm going to lose any limbs, and I don't think I'm going to die. It's just that I have terrible, terrible pain. So I'm permitted to have a non-Jew drive me to the hospital and then do whatever malachas their eyes are necessary because Amir al-Nachri is not even a malacham in the Rabbanan. It's only prohibited to the extent of Xerah the Rabbanan. So Xerah, all Xerah the Rabbanan, we permit one to violate them in the situation of a Choyl HaShem HaSakona in the third category. Uh, regarding this fourth category that we don't one who is a healthy one who is a bari with a mechash balma has a slight ache and pain that we don't permit them to do any medicate to apply any medications on Shabbos Masecha Shabbos has 24 prokim in the Mishnah so the whole chapter in Masecha Shabbos Perak Shmanashotim is dedicated to these details the Gemara has a lot of refuas we wouldn't recommend that anybody use them uh, today they just don't work today Days of the Gemara, that's the best that the doctors of their time uh, came up with. Uh, but the gist of the whole parak is this prohibition that one who is a bari with a mechish balma, one is basically healthy and just has a slight ache and pain, one is not permitted to apply any medication. There is a question what about, uh, let's say, a person has a mouth odor and he wants to use mouthwash just to take out, to remove the odor. Is that considered medication? So on the Shulchan Aruch it says that it is permissible to gargle your mouth uh, unless the person has some infection and he's gargling then it's already a shy love refuah but if he doesn't have any infection it's, it's not for the purpose of sometimes he has infection to be a, it may be really serious then of course we will allow him to take medication but if we're not talking about infection just talking about uh, uh, bad odor so in the Shulchan Aruch it says that it is permissible to gargle with the mouthwash that this is not considered refuah 
Rabbi Akiva Eger on the bottom of the page refers you to a Teisvis who says not so, but that's not the accepted opinion. The accepted opinion the way it says in Shulchan Aruch that it's permissible to gargle on Shabbos with mouthwash if the whole issue only is because of the bad breath. It's a different shayla with the mouthwash that usually the mouthwash has uh, glycerin in it. There's a shayla of trefus, so we'll get to that a little later. Um, if you have a, um, let's say you have a person who is in pain, but it's not really, uh, can't really consider him a choyle shame, it's not that he can't function normally because uh, the pain is so uh, terrible. He has a little bit of pain. So then we have a kula in Shulchan Aruch that goes as follows. If something is a shvuz de shvuz, if I ask a non-Jew to do a malacha for me, that's only an isa de Rabbanon. If I would have done it myself, it would have been an isa de Rabbanon. So if I ask a non-Jew to do for me, it's only an isa de Rabbanon. And if, even if I would have done this malacha myself, it would have only been forbidden me the Rabbanon. So if I ask a non-Jew, that's a, it's only prohibited because of a combination of two de Rabbanons. It's a, that's called the shoes the shoes. It's a lower level iser. It's not as severe as a real iser de Rabbanon. It's a lower level of an iser de Rabbanon. A shoes the shoes. So the Gemara, we assume that in the Gemara it says, the different interpretations of the Gemara, we assume that a shoes the shoes is muta b'maka mitzvah. If a person wants to perform a mitzvah, and the only way to get to do the mitzvah is by asking a non-Jew to do something which is forbidden by the Rabbanon, so we allow that. So then the Shulchan Aruch, they extend this heter. The original heter only says in the Gemara for a bris. If there's a schedule to have a bris on Shabbos, and, uh, and the only way to get to do the bris is by asking a non-Jew to carry in a place where there's no Erev. And the whole prohibition of carrying is only the Rabbanon. To ask a non-Jew is only the Rabbanon, so it's a shuz the shuz, so we would allow the father of the baby to ask the non-Jew to carry whatever is necessary in the area where the area fell down, uh, that would be a shuz the shuz b'maka mitzvah. So in Shulchan Aruch they extended, not only is it true regarding a bris, it's true regarding any mitzvah, and then they extended, not only is it true, a shuz the shuz is muta b'maka mitzvah, a shuz the shuz is muta b'maka mitzvah gadol, or b'maka mchol, and he doesn't really have to be a chod l'shem b'sakhan, doesn't have to be so sick that imamish can't function normally, even if he just has, um, he really doesn't feel well, so then also we would be makal on that. So that's why in the Shulchan Aruch they say we, are, we permit uh, if a person has uh, if a person has so much pain um, that he can't function normally he's permitted to ask a non-Jew to, de- to do even a Malacha Deraisa to relieve his pain. But even if the person can function normally it's not that it's so bad he just has this uh, annoying pain that's uh, very, very uh, bothersome very troublesome so we would permit him to have a non-Jew pull out the tooth because the whole prohibition of, uh, of pulling out a tooth is because it's going to bleed. And the bleeding is a malacha. Only, it's only a malacha tzvich alagufa if you plan to use the blood. But no one's going to use the blood. You're going to spit it out. So the malacha, even if a Jew would have yanked out my tooth and it would start to bleed, the whole malacha is only the rabbanon to ask a non-Jew to do that would constitute a shvuz the shvuz. So that's why we would permit that even in a situation but the person is not so much in pain that imamish can't function normally, he's going crazy. Even if it's less than that, we would also permit having a non-Jew uh, pull out the tooth. That would be considered a shuz de shuz If it turns out that the, the patient, the doctor looks inside the patient's mouth and he sees that he just has a, um, he has some pus, he has an infection and there's pus there. So the Mishnah says that it is permissible to squeeze out the pus pimple whether it's on top of the body, on the surface of the body, inside the body, doesn't make a difference, it's permissible, but the dentist has to be careful not to do a good job. If the, if the doctor does a good job at uh, treating this, uh, squeezing out the pus and leaving it open on top, 
so that it won't, uh, the skin won't cover it over again. So then the Mishnah says that'll constitute a malacha de raisin, that there's no heta for, unless there's a suffix sakana. That's the Mishnah in 80 is by mafis mursam. But just to squeeze a pimple when the person is in pain, so the Gemara gives a heta, whatever the explanation is, different explanation is given. The Gemara and the Rama, whatever it is, the din is that it's permissible to, to squeeze out the, the pus from the pimple. And even if you think that there is a possibility that some blood may come out, but if it's not necessarily a psikresha, it's not a vadois that the blood is going to come out, so then it's also permissible. Even if the blood will come out, even if it's a vadois that the blood is going to come out, it's also a malacha shein not interested in using the blood. So the Mishnah says that that is permissible, provided that the doctor, the dentist, doesn't do a professional job of uh, cutting open this pus pimple. She just do a batlanisha job. She tell the patient that he's doing a batlanisha job. Uh, as far as the patients uh, taking care of their health so the doctor the dentist of course recommend that we should brush our teeth every day and we should use uh, uh, floss and dental floss and we should uh, goggle with um, with Listerine whatever every day so uh, Ramosha Feinstein has a tshuva where he came up with a chiddush that it's uh, he thinks that it's not permissible to use toothpaste on Shabbos and he gives an explanation he thinks that it's mimareach that you're causing a new smooth surface on top of the teeth. Uh, Rav Salvechik, when he learned uh, this topic in the yeshiva, didn't understand why this should be mimareach. He couldn't, he couldn't absorb this at all. He said, when you brush your teeth, so all of the toothpaste disappears. So what kind of mimareach? So the, one of the students was in the class then. Rabbi Michal Shurkin was then a young man. So, um, so he said that Ramosha Feinstein meant to prohibit it because in the advertisements they said that it, it makes a, an invisible uh, protective coating uh, on top of your teeth. So Rabbi Salvechik said, you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? And he said, and even if it's true, but it's invisible. He's talking that it's invisible. How can you have a malach if it's invisible? You can't see, how can it be? So Rabbi Salvechik thought that it didn't make any sense. And then Rabbi Moshe Feinstein also thought that even if you're going to brush your teeth without any toothpaste, just to you take the toothbrush and to hold it under the faucet, to have it absorb water and then to brush your teeth, he thought that this is like squeezing out. The Gemara says you're not allowed to squeeze out clothing, you're not allowed to squeeze out uh, uh, shmatis, let's say. Uh, what about squeezing out hair? So the Gemara says this is not a biblical prohibition squeezing out hair, but it's a question in the commentaries on the Gemara. We assume that it's prohibited medirabonon to squeeze out hair. So Ramajah Feinstein writes in his Sefer, he thinks that the same is true regarding the toothbrush. That's the old toothbrush under the faucet and then you start brushing your teeth, you're squeezing out the water. So he recommends you shouldn't hold it under the water, you should take a toothbrush without any toothpaste and not any, with any water absorbed and start brushing your teeth. I stop brushing your teeth, the toothbrush is going to absorb all the um, saliva in the mouth, then you're going to be squeezing out the, the saliva that's absorbed. So he says, well, Menatora for sure it's muta. The whole prohibition is only with the Rabbanon. They only prohibited with the Rabbanon if you had the liquid absorbed into the toothbrush before you put it in your mouth, before you start the job. But if you started brushing your teeth when there was no saliva, then it accumulates saliva in the middle, he thinks that that's permissible. So Rabbi Salvechik thought this didn't make sense either. He disagreed. He thought that uh, at least the hair, the hair, it looks like it does. It doesn't, strictly speaking, doesn't really absorb the water, but uh, it looks like it's absorbing the water. It gets, uh, the hair is uh, um, much uh, bigger volume when it has water in it. When, when your hair is dry, so the hair is lower down. As opposed to the toothbrush, mamish, nothing changes. Just there's a little water in between the bristles. Of the tooth. It doesn't absorb any water, and the, and the bristles don't get any fatter. It doesn't get any bigger. 
That's Rabbi Shlaim Zalman Oybach writes in his Sefer also. He really doesn't think that there's any prohibition in using the toothpaste nor in brushing with the water, but he says, What can I do? It's He says, The minig developed that uh, the people don't, uh, don't use it. I remember Abarim Salavetsch told us that he agreed with uh, his brother regarding the toothpaste. He didn't think that that was awesome. But as far as the water, he thought like Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. He thought that that should be awesome at the Rabbi. So this is as far as the patients are concerned. So you should tell your patients, they should ask their local Orthodox rabbi, uh, whatever he partners, they should follow. Okay. Uh, the Shmir Shabbos Kolchasa raises the issue. Usually people, after they finish brushing their teeth, rinse off the toothbrush and then they hang it up where it came from or they put it down uh, wherever it was before. So isn't this a question of hachana? Unless you plan to brush your teeth a second time on the same day on Shabbos, then, then it should be an act of hachana. I'm washing off the tooth looks funny, going to have a toothbrush that's all full of mice alive, I'm going to put it down on the, on the sink. It looks a little funny. But uh, that's the question. If you rinse it off after you finish using it, so perhaps this is a question. Maybe this should be a prohibition of Achan. So the Shmir Shabbos has a whole uh, suggestion. Maybe anything that you do as a routine, everybody after they finish brushing their teeth, they rinse off the brush and they put it away. So it's not like washing the dishes. You don't wash the dishes. The second you finish eating, you wash the dishes. But first you put the dishes in the kitchen. And then after you bench and after you finish and you have some time, so then you start washing the dishes. But something that's done as a, as a routine, so it raises the possibility maybe there's no prohibition of hachana. It goes back and forth. That's a, that's a question. Whether rinsing off the toothbrush uh, constitutes a prohibition of hachana. I remember Avsalvechik said about brushing. He thought brushing the teeth was mutter with the water and with the toothpaste. He didn't see any prohibition. He just spoke to us about the possibility of bleeding. Um, so he said, if a person doesn't know in advance, it's forbidden. There is a malach involved if he cause uh, bleeding on a person or on an animal. Uh, so he said, but the din is, if something is a dovish and if I'm doing something that's muta, which may or may not result in a malach, so that's permissible on Shabbos. So he said, if you don't know in advance whether your teeth are going to bleed, so that's called a dovish and that's muta. What happens if the person knows that every time he brushes his teeth, uh, they bleed. Um, so that should be considered a psikresha. So then it would be also to brush your teeth. So the question was raised, maybe this should be considered a psikresha de la nichale. There, are, uh, there is an opinion in Shulchan Aruch that if I'm doing a dova hamuta, namely brushing my teeth, and we know if Adoy said a malach is going to occur, namely the bleeding, but I couldn't care less about this bleeding. I don't care whether it bleeds or doesn't bleed. So there is a question in in Shulchan Aruch, whether we would pass on that that's mutar or rasa. We usually say that that's osir, and then if it's a big shatat chak, some would say that that would be mutar. So uh, the question was, would this be considered a psikresha uh, de la nicham? So Rabbi Salvechik said he heard from his brother-in-law, Dr. Meiselman, who was a dentist, uh, that uh, those people who, uh, I don't understand what this means, he said those people whose teeth uh, bleed every single time that they brush them, so for them it's taka healthy that they should cause the teeth to bleed and that's considered a psikresha de nichale. You can't consider that a psikresha de la nichale. Okay. I'm not sure what it, what it, what it means. Uh, I never realized that there was an issue about this till in the middle of the summer. Somebody from TNET called me up. Um, someone's patient over here. He said he has these uh, false teeth and he has to glue them down to his gums and... Um, what does he do? What's he going to do? It's two days in a row, two days, three days in a row. What's he going to do? When he glues it down to his teeth, 
Well, normally, apparently, he glues it down to his teeth right before Shabbos, and it lasts approximately till after uh, Shabbos Shudas. Yeah, but what's he going to do if you have three days in a row? So that's talk a bit of a literature about the topic. Uh, part of the story is that to prepare the, if you have um, powder that you have to mix with your saliva or mix with some kind of a liquid, this itself is a problem of lisha. If you take a powder, you mix it with a liquid to make a paste out of it, so that's a problem. So what you should really have, you should have some kind of paste uh, prepared in advance, so you shouldn't be making the paste on, on Shabbos and Yantav itself. Uh, the issue of gluing down into the body is an issue. There is a problem. Now, if the dentist glues down my false teeth, kavua, and that's it. So that's taka real malacha. That's bona or makaba one or the other. That would probably constitute a malacha deraisa. In this case, uh, the person who has these false teeth apparently has to keep on putting in the paste every day. So the stuff is not going to last that long. So this is only binyan aroi. So binyan aroi is also the rabbana. Yeah, but uh, in such a case, this is probably like a person who has a sakonis aver that his teeth simply don't function. He, he, can't, he says he can't chew and he can't talk normally, he, can, he can't uh, speak normally ever when his teeth are falling out. So in the is such a, an emergency situation, we would permit violation of a malacha de Rabbanon. This is binyan. Aroi is only anisa malacha de Rabbanon. That's like for a choyle who has a sakonis aver, who's aver, who has a whole organ that's not functioning. Here he has a whole bunch of teeth that are not functioning properly. So in such a circumstance, we, we would permit uh, the individual to violate um, the malacha de Rabbanu. You have no choice in such a case. Um, regarding taking medications on Shabbos, we mentioned before that uh, it's only permitted if a person is uh, so sick that he's unable to function normally. He's laying in bed, or his chorele kol gufoy. He slowed down, his whole functioning ability is, is uh, weaker because he's, he doesn't feel well. And um, then we allow one to take medication. Otherwise, if the person is healthy but he has aches and pains, he's not allowed to take medication. So one of the Rabbanim wrote a tshuva a hundred years ago that if you're on medication, if a person has, let's say, medication and he has to take it for a month, he has to take it every day for a month. So if he's not going to take it on Shabbat, he's not going to get better. So the Pashtus is that in such a situation, the Chachamim never prohibited uh, medication. The only Rabbi Yaman Zilber writes like this. And known as Rabbi Yaman HaTzadik, he lives in Mirebrak, he wrote a safe on Hilcha Shabbos. And then people sent him comments on his safer, and then he uh, put out a safer, all the letters that they sent, and they sent him letters on the letters, and he has 18 volumes of Oz Nidbru. The letters on the letters on the letters on the letters. Very fascinating. Then he talks about everything under the sun, Shemitah and Kashras and everything under the sun. So he, uh, a famous tzaddik in Eretz Yisrael, the Chazanish used to call him Rabbi Yom and so he came up with this Chiddush, and it's probably right. It does make sense to disagree. When the rabbis prohibited uh, applying medication on Shabbos, that's only if you only have to take the medicine for three days, for five days, for six days. So don't take it on Shabbos. But if you have to take it for seven days or more, so how can you say they're prohibited medication on Shabbos? You're not going to get better. If you have to take it for a month, you have no choice. So you're allowed to take it on Shabbos also. But let's say it's a medication, you only have to take it for four or five days in a row. And I chose to start the medication on uh, Wednesday. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos. So that's a question. So 150, 100 years ago, so someone came up with this and found that the prohibition of taking medication, applying medicine on Shabbos, only applies if you're starting the medicine on Shabbos, starting the application. But if you already started in the weekdays and you continue into Shabbos, uh, this is permissible. This is really against the Gemara. The Gemara in Yuma is befavish against that. It says you're not allowed to, even if you started the medication a few days before Shabbos, you're not allowed to continue taking the medication on Shabbos unless, uh, unless the person is what we would consider a choy l'shem b'sakana 
unless his uh, situation is so bad that uh, that he's unable to function normally. So that's not really a correct heter. That uh, a lot of people talk about that. Oh, he started the medication in the middle of the week, so you're allowed to continue on Shabbos. It's not so. Only if only if the medicine has to be taken for seven days in a row. So you got no choice. So Shabbos has to be included. So then there's no gzera more than seven days. A lot of people have uh, false teeth or they have braces in their mouth. So it's a shayla. You people are fortunate. You have an Erev. Not every community has an Erev. So you're not allowed to carry if there's no Erev. So the shayla is, you're not allowed to walk in the street with uh, gum in your mouth, with food in your mouth. Um, there's always food in between your teeth. We don't tell everybody they have to brush their teeth before they have to use floss. Before they walk out into the street, we assume whatever food is stuck in between the teeth is bottle agave the body. That's okay. There's a little dust on your suit also. That's not a violation of Aitzo because a little dust is bottle agave the suit. But if you have, let's say, a person has a candy, a sucking candy in his mouth, or he has some gum in his mouth, so that's a prohibition that's an Isra of Aitzo. Or even if a person has some food stuck in between his teeth and he can feel it with his tongue and it bothers him. And he wants to, and he's trying to get it out with a toothpick or whatever, with floss or something, and he just doesn't have it. Then he talks, shouldn't walk out into the street if there's no Erev until he removes the food from in between his uh, teeth. So the Shabbos, what about false teeth or what about uh, braces? So we assume the Mishnahis have like that, that whatever one puts on the body, L'Shem Refu is bought the log of the goof, like clothing. There's no prohibition of Hoytzah. If you wear clothing, if you put on jewelry, Tachshitim, or Begodim, there's no prohibition. So the Mishnahis assume that the same is true regarding whatever is put L'Refuah. Now in the days of the Tanoim, you have in the Mishnahis, in the middle of Masech HaShabbos, Bamei Isha Yoytzah, it says that women are not allowed to walk into the street with certain types of jewelry because the rabbis were concerned that they may take off the jewelry in the middle of the street, but there's no Erev, to show uh, the other women the beautiful piece of jewelry that the husband got them. Um, so today the practice is that women do wear jewelry and the, the Shulchan Aruch uh, quotes the different opinions from Taisus whether this is a correct practice or incorrect practice yeah, but as far as braces are concerned as far as false teeth our practice is that we never take out the false teeth to show it up. In the days of the Tanoim they did so the Mishnah talks about a woman has a golden tooth and she's going to take it out and show uh, her girlfriend look my husband got me a gold tooth has a false tooth but today uh, no one takes out. Uh, no people don't take out the braces. They don't take out the uh, the false teeth. So this is a type of a thing that was never included in the Xavier in the first place. I'll be Uh The simple reading of the Tosefta is that these prohibitions of refuah that were instituted regarding Shabbos apply equally to Yantav. There are those who raised the issue. They debated the point. The whole reason why it's forbidden to apply medication on Shabbos is because of the Gzeirah, the person may violate Tochen, the person may grind something up uh, and uh, thereby violate uh, the Malach of Trina on Shabbos. Well, on Yontav, one is permitted to do Trina sometimes. You know, a lot of grind um, kernels of grain to make flour out of it. If you already have flour, you're permitted to mix the flour with water and to make uh, chalas or to make cake and cookies but you're not allowed to grind flour that's a real malacha but to grind uh, things um, that you didn't realize on Erev Yontav that you're going to need so then the Mishnah says sometimes that is permissible so that's why there were some uh, swarim hundred years ago there were some who developed the whole notion that the, the whole gzera the whole perik in Masecha Shabbos that says you're not allowed to apply medication on Shabbos there were those who argued that's only on Shabbos on Yontav, you can't say that it's forbidden to apply medication because it's probably mutam and atar to grind up whatever you're going to have to grind. Uh, you can't make exerah shemi it'll be exerah l'exerah. It doesn't. 
But that's not really the, the, the accepted opinion. The Tosefta says that on Chalamoid you're allowed to apply medication. So the implication is clear. On Chalamoid is muta on Yontav On Yontav Sheni we're On the second day Yontav, except for Rosh Hashanah, the Amarichta, but on the second day Pesach, second day Shua, second day Sukkot, we allow uh, application of, of medication even if the person is not a Choy L'Shem even if it's only a Bori with a Mechish B'Yalma. But on the first day Yontav, the Pashtas in the Gemara, in the Tosefta is Beferis, that it's not permissible to apply uh, medication on, on Yontav Rish. I want to speak a little bit about Kashrus. Um, I'll start uh, from the Gemara Maseches Broches. The Gemara has a question if a person has yard site, let's say, or happy occasion, a chosan is getting married, and he took a neder uh, by mincha, he's going to fast tomorrow. He was mekabel a neder, time is going to fast tomorrow. So he's fasting, the rest of the people in the community are not fasting. That's a tiny yachid, he took a neder, he's fasting, and no one else is fasting. So the Gemara says if, if this person, the man or the woman, whoever it is, happens to be cooking a soup, and they want to know how does it taste they don't know whether it needs more sugar or more salt or whatever more flavoring more pepper so uh, they're permitted the Gemara has a shayla they're permitted to taste the soup and to spit it out they would just want to taste it in the mouth to see whether it has the right flavor or not so the Gemara says that that is permissible because when that individual accepted upon himself to fast so the Gemara has the expression he only accepted upon himself not to eat and not to drink and team Aloy Kabbalah, the person never accepted upon himself that he's not going to taste any food. So that's why Matemis, to taste some food and to spit it out, is Mutter on the Tainis Yochit. So Taisus' comments are not Gemara, and this is quoted, this comment of Taisus is quoted in Shulchan Aruch. That the way the Gemara explained it, uh, it sounds like it's only permissible if it's a Tainis Yochit, and he's the only one who's fasting because of the fact that he accepted an Eta Tainis. What happens if everybody's fasting because it's Yom Kippur, it's Asar Betevis, or Shibasa Betamas or something? It's not really a question of what did he have in mind, what did he or she have in mind when they were Mechabal Tainis. Um, it's a tiny Saksuvim. It says in Tanakh that he's supposed to fast. Tiny Saksuvim says in Tanakh, he got to fast. So the Taisa says, in that case, we wouldn't permit Matemis. So what's wrong? So the reason why we don't allow it is because we're afraid that the person may accidentally swallow some of the food that he put in his mouth. So that's what's quoted in the Shulchan Aruch, that you're not allowed to taste any food on Tisha B'Av, on Yom Kippur, on Asura B'Tavit, some Gidai, and so on, because you may forget and swallow it. So this is quoted by the Taz in the beginning of Hilchas Tarubas in Yeridea with respect to all non-kosher foods. Let's say a person is a chef uh, in a non-kosher restaurant and he doesn't eat any of the food. So if he's cooking Basa B'cholov, so that he's not allowed to. He's not allowed to cook Basa B'cholov, even if non-Jews are going to eat it. But let's say he's not cooking basa b'chol, he's just cooking non-kosher food, non-kosher nevelo. And he's not going to eat anything, he knows that everything is strange. So that's, so that's permissible to cook, that's not a problem. But he doesn't remember whether he put in flavoring. So would you permit the person to taste the non-kosher food if he intends to spit it out, he's going to rinse his mouth out later on, he's not going to swallow anything. So in Shulchan Aruch we assume that this is not permissible based on this Gemara. That the Taisus said on the Gemara that uh, on the tiniest Aksuvim, on Asar Betavis and Shabbat Sabbatamis, it's certainly on Tishbab and Yom Kippur, you're not allowed to taste uh, the food even if you plan to spit it out because of the Xerah that you may swallow it. So now the question is, what if the food that I'm tasting in my mouth is, let's say, mouthwash? Now, the mouthwash, a normal person who's eating a meal would not fill up a cup for the mouthwash and drink it. It doesn't taste good. And even if someone else, even if the waiter fills it up and puts it on the table 
and you start to drink it, you see that it doesn't taste like uh, any drink that you're familiar with, you're certainly not going to drink the mouthwash. So the Pashtun says the mouthwash is not Roy Lachilo Sodom. So in all non-kosher foods, I think all, I think all mouthwashes in, uh, contain glycerin. I think now they all have glycerin in them. Uh, years ago, the Listerine didn't have glycerin, but now they improved everything. Everything is uh, better than it used to be, so now they all have glycerin. The glycerin, half the time, is uh, non-kosher glycerin. Half the time, is kosher glycerin. There's no way for you to tell. It all depends whichever was less expensive the day that that company ordered glycerin. So whatever is a penny less expensive, so they'll buy that one. So half the time, it'll be the non-kosher glycerin. Half the time, it'll be the kosher glycerin. So the shaila is, is that considered nipsal me'achilas odom? See, if I have a ham and I leave it out of the refrigerator for a month and it's rotten, or I have, let's say, uh, shark uh, meat, I have some tray for food and I leave it out of the refrigerator and it spoils and it, and it gets uh, rotten, so that's called hisriach, that's called nifsal me'achil Sodom. Over here, this stuff is not nifsal, it didn't rot, nothing rotted over here. We mixed in so many different ingredients that we made it that it doesn't taste good, it tastes awful. So that's a big machlokes in the Paskin, whether that's considered nifsal me'achilosodim or not. The generally accepted opinion is that that is considered nifsal me'achilosodim. Uh, you know, before Pesach, there are different rabbinical uh, organizations, Akashus organizations, they give you a list of all the different, uh, all the different uh, hairsprays or all the different, uh, all the different uh, things that you can, you can put in your... Um, um, medicine cabinet that all these things are not lachilo. so they give you a list which ones are kosher le pesos, which are not so a lot of people laugh at this what do you need a list this whole stuff is not lachilo. so there are those who are, there is a minority opinion out there that if the thing didn't spoil it didn't rot none of these drugs these medicines didn't rot these things you mixed in ingredients in such a way that you made it not lachilo. so there is a minority opinion that that's not considered nifsim achilo. But that's not the generally accepted opinion. We assume the Hazanish and Rav Salvechik and most of the most assume that even if you mixed in ingredients and you were pegamit biyodan, you made it anyway. Lachila, the Allah is that that's considered nifsal meachila. For Pesach, it has to be nifsal meachila sakela. Even an animal wouldn't eat it. And for all year long, just for kashrus, it's sufficient if it's nifsal meachila sadam, even if it is roi lachila sadam. So there is a, a fine. So we assume, let's say, if you have mouthwash that has uh, glycerin in it, even if, the, even, if it ha- even if you know for sure that the glycerin is non-kosher glycerin, strictly speaking, this is mutamenatur. Now, what if a guy is thirsty and he wants to drink a cup of glycerin? I'm sure gonna, he wants to drink a cup of mouthwash. He has no normal uh, soda to drink, has no normal coffee, wants to drink that. So that's a dispute among the Rishonim. The Rosh Hashanah says that this is Osir Medirabonon, because of Akshave. If you drink it, you eat it, you have this uh, ham, that was out of the refrigerator for uh, a month and it's uh, spoiled and a, and a dog will get a bellyache a dog will throw up if he eats it so the rush says that it's forbidden midirabonon for a person to eat this non-kosher food because since he sits and he eats it he demonstrates that uh, subjectively speaking as far as he's concerned he, he feels that it is uh, there are those who disagree Rabbi Alevi uh, disagrees the Ra'or in a better kabais but in Shulchan Aruch and uh, Yeridei and the second Chelek and in Hilchas Pesach we have adopted the position of the Rosh that if the person eats the non-kosher food the Nifsal Me'achil Sodom, so then it's forbidden mid but this is only if the person actually sits and eats it because he wants to eat it let's say you have this uh, mouthwash that has the trafer glycerin in it or I think all uh, all toothpastes 
also probably have uh, non-kosher uh, glycerin in there. Um, so if a person is going to squeeze out a whole tube of toothpaste and drink a whole cup of mouthwash, so that's awesome with the rabbi. But uh, people don't do that. We're just discussing brushing your teeth with the toothpaste and then spitting it all out. Or uh, gargling with the mouthwash and then you're going to spit it out. So to taste a non-kosher food is only prohibited mid because of the chashash that the person may accidentally swallow some of it. But if the person accidentally swallows it over here, there, is no, there isn't even an Isim of the Rabbanon. The only time there's an Isim of the is if he demonstrates that he wants to eat it. If he sits down and he eats, uh, drinks a whole, a whole uh, cup of this uh, mouthwash or he, he eats a whole tube full of the toothpaste. So then he's demonstrating that as far as he's concerned, it's Roy Lachila. But just to put it in your mouth, even though you're tasting the non-kosher thing, uh, the Pashtus is, like Rabbi Tzvi Pesach, Frank writes that this is no Isser of Te'ima in this situation because the thing is really Mutta. It's only Osser if you demonstrate that you're interested in eating it. A lot of times you have a, um, whatever sickness the person has, sometimes a dentist will uh, tell a person, sometimes doctors tell patients that they have to take uh, pills. So a lot of these pills have non-kosher ingredients in them. So if the pill does not taste like anything normal, no normal person would sit and eat these pills. So strictly speaking, the whole thing is nifsam achilosodam, and, and there's no prohibition, there's no isa. The only time there's an isa in Rabbanon is if it's achshave, if he's, let's say, watching TV and he keeps on popping the pills in his mouth, like a popcorn. So he's, he takes a whole fistful of pills and he eats a whole bunch, but he's not eating a whole bunch. He takes one pill every two hours or something. Takes one pill every day or three times a day. Something that's not. You can't say that that's achshave. It's obvious he's doing this for medical purposes. Not that he holds that the pill is royal achila. If he takes a fistful, then he demonstrates that it's royal. As far as he's concerned, it's royal achila. So then it would be an isa de rabban. But if he's only taken one pill, most of the poskim are of the opinion that then you don't apply achshave. Uh, Sometimes you have a pill that has a, you have some medication that's in a gelatin capsule. So gelatin capsule uh, is a problem. Um, the gelatin capsule looks like it's plastic, but it really isn't. If you'll take that uh, capsule and you put it into a uh, teaspoon of water and you'll uh, melt it, it'll taste delicious. That's not called nifsim achila. Nifsim achila means that you'll need a whole major uh, p- process in order to make the thing back royal achila. But over here, it's very simple. You just... Uh, you just dissolve in the water and it'll be very tasty. So the gelatin capsules uh, are a problem. The only thing is that when a person takes a medication in a gelatin capsule and he swallows it, that's called Shaloi Kederach Achilasa. So the Gemara says that that's only forbidden. There are two different heterim. There's one heter if the chazer is nifsal me'achilasa adam. And then there's another heter. The chazer is perfectly edible, but let's say it, I took it straight out of the freezer and it's hard like a rock and I swallow a, a chunk of chazer. I take chazer, I just cooked it on the fire and it's burning hot and I swallow the chazer and I burn my tongue. So that's, you can't say that the ice cold chazer that's hard like a rock or the burning hot chazer that I burn my tongue on, you can't say it's nifsa machila. It's not nifsa machila, it's edible. You just cool it down and you just uh, wait till it cools off a little bit, wait till it warms up a little bit. That's not called nifsa machila. But if you eat it when it's burning hot, the ice cold, that's another hetem in that's shaloi kederach achilos. You're not eating in a normal fashion. But Medir Rabbanon, that for sure is prohibited. That, uh, that's the simple reading of the Gemara, that Medir Rabbanon, that's not allowed, unless the person is in a, con- is in a situation of a choyle she'em v'sakon. So that, uh, if a person has a condition which really knocks him out, he's not able to function normally, 
and the medication that he has to take has a gelatin capsule. So strictly speaking, he's allowed to do that. That's shaloka derech achilos on the gelatin, and he's a cholishem v'sakon. But uh, if he's a normally healthy person, or he just has uh, slight aches and pains, then we would not be matir any any macholos asura shaloka derech achilos. He has to be careful about that. Uh, there is a din in the um, there is a din in the chumash that one is not permitted to to drink blood dam of behema chay v'yoyf you're not allowed to drink dam of an odom uh, is oser midirabonon for centuries there used to be blood libels against the Jews before Pesach they said that the Jews are taking Christian blood and they're making baking uh, matzahs with it so the Jews always defended them so they said what do you mean we're not allowed to drink blood truth of the matter is that human blood is mutamanatar it's only oser midirabonon Jewish blood non-Jewish blood doesn't make a difference that's what Rabbi Sosalanta said. The matzahs, they have blood. It has the blood of the Jewish almonas who, who used to bake the matzahs and they never were paid properly. It didn't have Christian blood. It had Jewish blood. <laughs> so strictly speaking, uh, Jewish bl- uh, blood of a human being is only awesome and Rabbanon. And the Gemara says the blood is only awesome and Rabbanon, let's say if I'm eating a sandwich and I bite into the sandwich and then I see that my teeth are bleeding and now there's blood on the sandwich. You're not allowed to eat that blood on the sandwich. You have to slice that off. So how do you eat the sandwich? You have to cut it up into tiny pieces and put a little bit in your mouth. Kozman, that the blood is still inside your mouth, and they never prohibited uh, swallowing the blood. Well, let's say a person is eating an apple, and he sees some of the blood came out from his, in between his teeth, and it got stuck on the apple. So you have to wash off the blood from the apple. You have to cut off that piece that has the blood. So how do you eat an apple normally? So you have to slice up. In this instance, he's got no choice. If he knows that his teeth are bleeding, he has to slice up the apple and put small slices in his mouth in such a way that the blood will not be peerish. Kozman, the blood is still inside his mouth, there's no prohibition. Not only that, he's even permitted to suck the blood out a little bit to cause it to, extra blood to come out. Uh, as long as all of the blood is inside his mouth, this is, uh, this is permissible. On Shabbos, of course, he's not allowed to suck out the extra blood uh, in between his teeth because that's a malocha. Causing blood to come out is a malocha. That's not allowed on Shabbos. Uh, there is a discussion for many years already regarding uh, false teeth. What do you do with Basa Uh If a person used uh, his false teeth, or his teeth, uh, filling in his teeth, and he ate hot flesh, and then he's going to have hot milk later on. So isn't he using the uh, fleshic kalim for the hot milk? Why isn't there a problem of Basa B'cholof? So some G'daylam said, well, uh, the food that you put in your mouth is less than Yatsa lettuce bow, and, uh, and therefore there's no bliya. The Allah only considers a bliya past the point of Yatza letters, where Mahmud Yatza letters 120. So it's not really true. The facts are not true. People, a lot of people put soup in their mouth. That's uh, coffee with uh, milk. They put food in their mouth. That's way more than Yatza letters. The facts are just not true. Others argue the point. Others write in their svarim that uh, the false teeth are made from such material that's not boleya. Some of them are and some of them are not. Sometimes the people put gold in their teeth. The real gold fillings. The gold is balea. The Chumash talks about the trefe kalem that you get from a non-Jew. If it's made from gold, so you have to kashmir it. So we assume gold is balea. So the facts are just not, the, don't correspond to reality. Others uh, wrote in their svarim that um, you don't take the uh, steak directly from the uh, broiler you don't drink the soup directly in the pot that it was cooked in. They serve the soup in a bowl, and then you drink the soup. So by the time you get the soup, it's already in a klisheni. 
So this is relevant for Hilchas Shabbos and relevant for Hilchas Kashrus. So in Kashrus we pass in bottom line that if something became traced due to a belief from a klisheni, so we say just like a klisheni is not mavashal for Shabbos purposes, a klisheni doesn't make traced either. So strictly speaking, this is good as far as soup is concerned. If you have milchik soup, fleshik soup, so we say that it's klisheni. Even though the soup is burning half, we say klisheni doesn't make traced. Bottom line, it's a different opinions, but we pass in bottom line that it doesn't make traced. But if you have a dova gush, if you have, let's say, a burning hot steak, even if you put it on klisheni, klishlishi, klirizi, if it's still burning hot, if it's above yatzalet, so then we pass in the shulchan that it still retains the status of klirishan. As long as it's hotter than yatzalet, it still retains the status of klirishan. So the hefter on the, uh, on the false teeth, to use the same false teeth for fleshiks and for milchiks, cannot really be based on any of the above. It's not really based on... Um, on the fact that it's not Yatzalet is but a lot of times it is Yatzalet is but it cannot be based on the fact that it's uh, the material is not Bale a lot of times the material is Bale it can't be ba- cannot be based on the fact that it's always cliche it's not true so it's really a question what is the Kula based on Every, so Hasidim and Shemaisa have two sets of four teeth four sets Fleshik Milchik Chomedik Fleshik and Pesadik Fleshik Milchik no it's expensive enough to have one set of false teeth. You have to go have uh, four sets of false teeth. Paro, okay. Six, uh, six sets of false teeth. So the, uh, so Epshlan Zaman Oybach writes in his Sefer, he thinks that the cooler really is based on the following. It's also not so uh, smooth. Uh, it says in Shulchan Aruch, um, years ago in the little villages in France and Germany, the Jews weren't wealthy enough to afford to have a bakery. So they used to rent time from the non-Jewish bakery to bake the kosher bread in the non-Jewish, uh, non-Jewish bakery. So the problem was that sometimes the non-Jews would bake their bread with lard and they would have on their baking tins they would be, they would be clean but it, have, it had a blea of chazashmaltz in it and then they wouldn't allow the Jews to kasha the baking tin they would say either you use it the way it is or go somewhere else go fly kite they're not interested in anybody kashering their baking tins so Taisha says look we can't live without bread this was years ago that bread used to be uh, the staff of life the meal used to consist of six slices of bread and a little bit of uh, cheese or something not like today that uh, you don't eat any bread at all people just eat bread on Shabbos and but years ago bread was alalechem uh, yichyehodem the Pasek says lo alalechem lo vado yichyehodem a Tesis uh, paraphrases that the Pasek and they say alalechem yichyehodem people need bread in order to live so Tesis says look if the baking tin hadn't been used for chazo in the last 24 hours so it's a cliche in a ben yomo so we'll not make the kosher bread trace but L'Chathchili not allowed to use it so we have a rule this is the rule that Tesis uh, is elaborating upon the rule goes like this the Shas HaTchak Kediyevidami the Shas HaTchak we allow L'Chathchili what usually is only permissible Bidiyevid uh, so this is the Shas HaTchak we have to bake bread and the only place we have to bake bread is in the Goisha bakery and he doesn't let, he doesn't let us kasha the baking tins he doesn't let us bring in our own baking tins so you have no choice so that's what Rabbi Shleim Zalman says over here that even though 24 hours hasn't gone by between the fleshiks and the milchiks in your mouth, as far as the false teeth are concerned, but he says the mouth is uh, warm, much warmer than room temperature, and there are um, different, uh, the saliva in the mouth and so on, so this causes the blea in the fleshik blea, the milchik blea, in, in the false teeth uh, to become nifgam, nice and tamal of gam, even within 24 hours. Even before 24 hours are up. So this is basically that's what the cooler is based on. Yeah. 
that this is the problem for Pesach because uh, when it comes to Pesach we're machmer on Shein Ben Yomo so uh, what's the heter over there why don't we insist that everyone has to have two sets of uh, separate set of false teeth for Pesach it's a problem so, so basically it's only a chumrah the Ramo is machmer the mechaber is mekel on Nesim Tam Legam of Pesach and the Ramo is machmer so if you have no braira, look we say that uh, we are mekel on it so they recommend the person shouldn't have one who has false teeth uh, fillings in his teeth so they recommend he shouldn't have hot chomets within 24 hours before uh, Arab Pesach the last day before Pesach so he won't have any bleas that are going to be ben yomo and there ain't a ben yomo that will make a lot okay let me just close with an issue I remember um, many years ago for over 40 years ago we had a family simcha uh, in Einstein uh, cafeteria so uh, one of the participants in the simcha was going to be a Kohen so he called up the cafeteria and he asked them whether they have any dead bodies in the building so the non-Jewish chef who was answering the phone said I assure you that the non-Jewish bodies are not mixed into the food in the kitchen you don't have to worry about that <laughs> so the guy starts to explain to him but I'm a Kohen and the Kohen can go in the building with a mace the, the non-Jew who was working in the kitchen never heard of that so there is a din, we uh, Orthodox people heard of this din, Pasek and the Chumash and Parshas and more, that a Kohen is not permitted to come in contact with a, with a dead body. Uh, the Gemara has a dispute among the Tanoim and there's a question how we Paskin, whether Mesei Akum, um, if it's a body of a non-Jewish uh, Mase, is it only Metami B'Magum Masa, is it even Metami B'Ohel? Uh, so even though the generally accepted opinion in Shulchan Aruch is that Meisim Nochrim are not Mitami Ba'ohel, but both Rabbi Yisif Kara the Mechaber and the Ramah both recommend that Kohenim should be Machmir like the other opinion, like the Tesis who passes like the other Tanoim. So this is really a problem. There are some uh, there are some dentists. I was told there are many dentists. I don't know. I'm not a Kohen, so I never uh, snooped around. I was told that there are uh, dentists who have. Um, uh, skulls in their offices and there are doctors who have uh, bones uh, uh, skulls or uh, or uh, enough bones in their office that sometimes amitame bo so this is really a problem that should be uh, researched now um, if the mace is in a different room so strictly speaking and the door is closed or it's in a cabinet and the cabinet is closed so strictly speaking that's a separate ohel and it wouldn't uh, bring the tumor into the room where the patients are. There is, however, a din of surf tumor says If the mace is in a, in a chest, in a cabinet, and every so often the doctor opens up the cabinet and he takes out the skull or he takes out the bones. So that's already mitame now. Even before he takes out the bones, that's called surf tumor I'll shame her. Since he plans in another week to take out the bones for, uh, for demonstration purposes, so the room is full of tumor already now. So we are makel by mace akum, we are makel. We assume that most of the bodies that they have skulls from are probably non-Jewish bodies in America. The Jewish percentage of the population is uh, way less than 50%. So the likelihood is that it's going to be a non-Jewish uh, body. So we are makal on the instance of Sertum Olatzeis by Mesa Yakum, But uh, it's really something that should be uh, researched a little more. And uh, Kohanim should be a little more careful about going into hospitals, about visiting. Sometimes Kohanim go visit uh, people in cancer wards the cancer patients a lot of them are mamish gosusim so we paskin and there's a machlekes in the Gemara and in Shulchan Aruch the machlekes the mechaber and the Ramah so the Ramah paskin svash kenazim 
uh, based on our reading, our gears in the Gemara, that a Kohen is not permitted to go into the oil of a Gosis, even though, the, even though all the people are alive and there is no tomb. A Gosis means one who is holding by dying. No, a lot of the cancer patients are holding by dying, unfortunately. So that's uh, clearly not correct. Kohanim shouldn't go uh, visit on the cancer ward. But the question is, even on other parts of the hospital, really, Kohanim should, even if they have to go in as patients, they should ascertain from the chaplain in the hospital what the layout of the hospital is to find out which hallways they're allowed to go and which entrances they're allowed to go and which entrances they're not allowed to go. And uh, this sometimes is relevant for dentists as well. You have to figure out uh, when there is an issue of Tumas Mace for the Kohanim patients uh, and, uh, and when not. Okay, this presentation was mamish just uh, very superficial. Uh, there are many, many details uh, as far as the Kashas and as far as the Shabbos and as far as the Yontav is concerned. And uh, there are quite a few wonderful svarim on the topic in English and in Hebrew and uh, it's really kiddai to brush up on this and to review the deal. Thank you very much. Questions? Bakasha? Again, if you're taking medicine a few days in a row, say, if you can avoid taking a Shabbos, you should. The Pashta says like that, right? You should arrange in such a way that you only have one Shabbos as opposed to two Shabbos. And there's a Rashash in the end of Yuma talks about that. Yes. Uh, doing root canal work. Well, but, you know, even not done as a, as a you know, as a, uh, as a babalacha, but done, done even primitively by dental standards, even just opening what we call doing a, a, a pulmotomy, just letting it drain out through the tooth itself, basically. Uh, you know, opening up the canal, as we say, opening up to... Uh, opening up... extracting it to, uh, to relieve the pain and suffering. That falls in the same category, when you say... Use the generic concept of extracting tooth, but I assume it applies to other treatments that are not as drastic as that. Um, if you open a canal in such a way, you do a good job, then it's going to stay open. If you intend not to do such a good job, so then the Gemara says that that's mutta. If the person is in pain, so that's like squeezing out the pus. But you're going to make a nice opening that's going to stay open, so then you do have a problem. And all the other considerations you constantly refer to extraction in some ways the pulling of the tooth was just a problem the malacha was the bleeding that's no. what they're concerned about but so uh, in this case it's not really so much a bleeding considered like an amputation or anything like that no 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 not really an amputation is not really a prohibition on shops you're not allowed to cut hair you're not allowed to cut nails you're not allowed to cut a wart off something that doesn't belong there but if you're cutting off a limb, something that uh, that's not the same. That's not really gozes. Gozes if you cut something that uh, that's omidly he gozes, something that's tzugetshep, uh, something that's added onto the body. Yeah. Same issue regarding to us, Akum now invites to dentists, doctors at hospitals, but to museums. Mm-hmm. Same principle would apply. Sure, sure. You got a problem, right? 
One rabbi told me that he just uh, had to attend a wedding in, uh, and, and the people had the wedding in some museum in Brooklyn where it's known that they have mummies. So he had to make sure that the mummies were in a separate room. We assumed the mummies were not Jewish. And, uh, and there are Shuvahs in the Swarm about this. Uh, you have to make sure that it's in a totally separate room and it's closed off and the tumor doesn't go through. How far do we call Ashra Levari? You have to make one phone call, ten phone calls. You rely on these people when they answer that they're giving you the real information and that's just saving time by giving you... Uh, if you have a chaplain in the hospital, uh, an Orthodox rabbi, so I assume uh, he probably knows what he's talking about. If you're calling up in a museum, so this rabbi went to the this rabbi himself is not a Kohen, so he went to the museum to to look at what everything looks like, and then he heard the information directly, not just on the telephone. He wanted to see what everything looked like. I wouldn't rely over the telephone. I don't think it's a smart idea. Is she really going first to make sure? How often is it that it's really a serious emergency? I thought, yeah. Yeah. Look, if you only have Jewish patients and, they, and they're all observant, Tinek, Irakurish Tinek, and uh, they know they're not going to call on Shabbos unless it's a real serious case, then uh, no shyly can answer the phone directly. If you have non Jewish patients also, some are not so observant, so then you have to really have a, a service a non-Jewish secretary answering the phone and screening them. And it only if it's a real suffix sakana, then uh, the doctor can go. Otherwise, you have to recommend they should go to a non-Jewish uh, doctor. My second question relates to what you were talking about, probably, uh, uh, and this relates to, say, braces on Pesach, and braces that are fixed for the purposes of Bikva and adults. Is there issues involved? Chatzitzas, uh, I think Rabbi Willig is going to speak about. I think that's a, that's a major topic. Yeah, sure, that's a big issue. When is it a chatzitza and when not? Chometz is the same as the false teeth. Right, right. So we're mekel on it. Right, right. So we're mekel. We assume it's Ben Yoimai. We assume it's nice and tamal of gan. Under the circumstances, we have no choice. So we're mekel. You ought to tell him a week in advance uh, that he should ask his local Orthodox rabbi, ask his Paisic whether uh, this is acceptable. Or maybe. So, so every material that has some controversial addition to it, doesn't matter how you talk in, you can make the patient aware of it. Yeah, you ought to say you want to speak to his Paisic to make sure that you're not causing him to sin. Yeah. doesn't help that your Paisic says Mutaf, his Paisic says Orthodox. He's the one who's eating it. I would think so. 
No, a lot of times the patient doesn't have the fi- the patient doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't even know that it has a non-kosher ingredient. Yeah, but the the doctor should bring it to his attention. I think so. The flossing, I don't think, is a problem at all. Most of the time, it doesn't cause any bleeding. Once in a while, it's going to cause bleeding. That's a double shame and miscover. I don't think that's a problem. What is a problem is you're not allowed to rip off a string to size. Okay, so that we know. So if it's uh, ripped, it's maybe four shabbos. It's not a problem. I mean, it was coming. We judge each stroke or the whole session. On each given stroke, it probably won't cause bleeding. But uh, you see during the week that you do uh, 20 strokes for three minutes, so it bleeds every day. You look at the whole session or you look at each stroke? Um, that was the big machloikas regarding combing hair. The Mishnah says for a nazir, uh, he's not allowed to comb his hair because in the entire process of combing his hair, one hair will get pulled out and the nazir is not allowed to do that. And on Shabbos, that was an argument. So Rabbi Yosef Kara's opinion prevailed that it's a situation on Shabbos as well. And there was a minority opinion that on Shabbos, if each stroke is not a psikreshe, then the combination of the whole series of all the strokes, the whole process together, doesn't, doesn't make a psikreshe. But the accepted opinion is that it is. What does Svarad say it is? Why should I... Each stroke is its own mind. Okay. So have you said Kara thinks not so? Okay. <laughs> well, whatever the explanation is. Okay. Okay. But I think by most people, I think even flossing for three minutes, I think it will still be a double shame kind. Most of the time, it doesn't bleed. Even the whole process together doesn't cause anything. You have to go by most people. You have to go by yourself. By yourself, yeah. Right. If in my case, it always, every single time, it causes bleeding, then it's going to be a psikreshe de nichalei, right? It's going to be a problem. Why is it I don't know. That's why I mentioned that Dr. Meiselman told Rabbi Soloveitchik that people who, I don't know if it's true, that's, that's what he said uh, 40 years ago, 45 years ago. He said that people whose teeth bleed all the time, so it's healthy for them to have that blood come out. Is that the case? I don't know. Could be that now it's uh, not a sum like that. So what about a Polish Yeshua So you drive over. What about driving back after you've treated? There is a head there in uh, the Gemara in Erevin that's usually known as a Tirasofam Shum Trilosam in order to encourage the doctor. Uh, if the patient drove to the doctor, we don't have to encourage the patient to save his life. He doesn't need any encouragement. So he doesn't have any breaks. He's not allowed to go back. Shadow is the doctor. The doctor needs a little encouragement because it's the other guy who's dying. It's not me. It's his, he's going to die. So to encourage the doctor to uh, run in the first place to take care of the patient, so we give him a break at the end, we allow him to go back home. Uh, that's considered a tzorach pikuach because if you won't allow him to go back home, he may be lazy and decided to go in the first place. So most of the poskim are of the opinion that that kuli, only applies to an isa de Rabbanon. Let's say, to have a non-Jew drive me back. Uh, but that I myself should drive, driving a car on Shabbos is assumed to be a malacha de of Havora. I'm burning the petroleum on Yontav, it's only an isa de Rabbanon. So to drive back on Yontav would be okay. But to drive back on Shabbos, that's a serious question. So Moshe Feinstein uh, published the tshuva that it's mutter. He disagrees with all of the classical posts. His opinion was that it's even permissible to violate an Issa de Raisa coming back. And that's the tshuva that Rav Zalman Oyerbach uh, printed in disagreement with Moshe Feinstein. He has the first footnote. He writes in the tshuvas, he, I think Rav Moshe must have been uh, five, ten years older than him. Rav Zalman was uh, 80 and Rav Moshe was 90, something like that. So uh, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman writes, he got permission from Rabbi Moshe Feinstein to print the tshuva in disagreement with his opinion. 
Moshe gave me permission to print the tshuva, and that's why I said, if he wouldn't give him permission, he wouldn't have printed his tshuva to disagree. But Moshe gave him permission to say print, and he thinks, like all of the classical traditional postings, that this kula, the tirasofa and we allow the, the doctor to come back home in order to encourage him in the first place to go, this is only on the level of the Rabbonins. We don't allow any surim derais. That's the simple reading of the Gemara like that. That's only on the Rabbonins, yeah. Has Rebbe investigated uh, about bone augmentation? Uh, there are commercial firms that harvest for uh, from the long bones of cadavers. So as far as I know, it's a maze, as far as placing it into a coin, this is to augment uh, to an extraction site where actually we don't want it to bleed. Uh, it, it helps in, in, in this working. Has Rebbe investigated? A little bit. A coin once asked me the question, and he told me that they grind up the bones. They grind up the bone from the dead body. So once they grind it up, so it no longer has any uh, tumor. You have to have a minimum size that should be intact, shouldn't be uh, turned into powder. So there's no issue of tumor. The issue is that a mace is also bano. So mace ayakum, strictly speaking, amuta bano. Lechatchila, we avoid it. But if it's a makam tzara gadol, so then we make them. So chumra and shulchanach, then mace ayakum bano. When you go to medical school, you study on a, on a cadaver. So, they say when you're studying uh, anatomy, when you're learning biology and anatomy on a cadaver, that's also a violation of mei sasabano. So, since it's a shtikol maka mitzvah, that you want to become a doctor, so we make all on that. Uh, I know that in medicine, there's a general uh, concept of shubeva, which allows us to, allows the physician to treat uh, many times uh, non-Jewish patients. Uh, does this, would this apply, this principle apply to he should really try to avoid the whole thing the Jewish and the non-Jewish patients on Shabbos he should have uh, an answering service that's he should have a shutvis with a, uh, an agreement with, an, with another non-Jewish uh, dentist and whoever calls on Shabbos should go to the non-Jewish dentist you should take off on Shabbos or make uh, one seventh less. <coughs> I think that the, the issue is not a question of so much of, of either money or, or uh, it's a question of uh, the patient. The patient has confidence. He wants and this, to go served by, by the doctor. Who so knows him all the time. He knows him and he just doesn't want to go to somewhere else. Not a question of money or. Yeah. I don't think it's right, though. It happens on Tuesday that the doctors are out there. Yeah. Went to a chasana. Yeah. So you go to a chasana every Shabbos. You go to a chasana every <laughs> I think so. Okay. Thank you very much.